To me, I think it has been really, really meaningful to see how this message lands with people. I told you I want to be one of the best speakers in the world or the best that I can possibly be. That's not for me. I don't, I don't care if I'm that good. I want to be able to impact people. Yeah. I want to be able to leave them with a message or, or an inclination or a new way of thinking that they didn't think before. It's time to get inside your own head. Begin with the psychology behind your behaviors. Infuse it with an acute understanding of self-awareness, emotion, storytelling, body language, and more. Then look at it all through the lens of the latest neuroscience research, broken down to its most digestible form. And you've arrived. Enhanced messaging, deeper connection, heightened influence, and a greater impact on the world. Welcome to the Amplify Podcast with Renee Rodriguez. All right, welcome to the Amplify Podcast. Uh, today's guest is somebody that I met recently through a dear friend, Gavin Ekstrom, and sent me a text message and said, you've got to meet this guy. His name is Ryan LaVarnway. He played pro baseball for 10 seasons in the big leagues, 15 seasons wearing a uniform for eight different teams but 11 different teams in uniform excuse me and then also has one world series but in every one of my conversations super down to earth and i want to dive into the mind of a professional athlete especially one who's done as much as, as he's done and to me you know if you're listening to this we can, i think we can learn a lot from understanding the mindset of the elite thinkers the elite uh, athletes you know people that are doing things like that so it is my pleasure to welcome ryan labarnway how are you man renee thanks for having me brother it's good to see you. Good to see you here. I know that we've uh, we've been talking a lot over the last several months, and we saw you out at AmpCon. It was great. And you now are doing public speaking and and uh, kind of sharing your message. You're you're an Israeli American athlete as well, which uh, which I thought was really cool. It's a cool story. But I here's where I want to go. I want to get right into this because you know I've had the chance to work with all sorts of people, lead on different different areas from the military to business and athletes. And to me, I learned so much from just listening and talking with professional athletes that have done this because you guys are different <laughs> and the intensity level that of which you operate is something that those who don't and have never seen professional athletes function it's something that is awe-inspiring and so i want to cover intensity i want to cover work ethic i want to cover failure mindset all of those things so tell, just give, give us a quick rundown in terms of your history and I, I did a little bit there but anything else you want us to know because i know that you got some pretty cool stats out there uh, as far as history i guess the biggest biggest thing is that i took the the route less traveled in, in high school i was not good enough i didn't play consistently on the varsity team until my senior year uh, and then i went to a college that the baseball team at yale university has produced more u.s presidents than it has major league baseball players as hitters. So I've always operated under the belief that if you want to accomplish your dreams, you just have to make sure you are good enough. And if you are, people will find you, even if you're in a place that they shouldn't be looking. At Yale University, they shouldn't have found me. But then I won the batting title in the NCAA, so they had no choice. And then I was in the minor leagues as a sixth-round draft pick, and my defense was terrible. Honestly, I had to learn how to play defense as a pro, but I hit enough to win minor league player of the year three years in a row, and they couldn't ignore me. So mm. wherever you are, 
just be good enough. That's fascinating. So your thing was, I was, I wasn't good at these things, but I could hit the ball. I could hit the ball. What was it about that? What? And, and, and I watched the movie fastball or the documentary fastball. I've studied this whole science of hitting a baseball. They say it's the hardest thing to do in sports and that you're making a decision even before they've let go of the ball. Yeah. And I don't even know if you can intellectualize that or articulate that, but tell us what that's like. Cause I think that's just a fascinating conversation. Yeah, the, the parts about hitting that blow my mind to think about conceptually are that as a human being, the torque you're creating throughout the course of a swing is equal to that of four horsepower through the middle of your body. And the decision you're making uh, to create that kind of power happens in a fourth of the time it takes you to blink. Wow. So it has to be so many repetitions that you've practiced so many times that you've done this that it's on a subconscious level, you make a decision where there's no decision to be made. Your body's doing it for you based on uh, the angle that is coming out of the hand, release point, how much fingers you see. If there's a hump in the pitch, um, a lot of times you don't even realize what you're doing. Mm. And you're just, but you've put in so much, so many reps in that your body, your body takes over at that sense. Yeah. When I, when I give lessons to, to high school kids or to youth baseball players, and we talk about I, I use the metaphor of like your brain is the computer and your body is the robot. And a lot of times you don't tell, you don't type into the computer the output that you want. Ultimately, I'd want to hit a home run every time, right? I want to hit it in the air at a 34 degree launch angle at 112 miles per hour. But if I think that the robot, my body is going to react in a certain way where the shoulder pulls and the hip pulls and the head yanks. So instead, I'm telling myself, think down think hit a ground ball hard because that's I know is what's going to cause the cleanest direction to the baseball, the most efficient path. And I think that way of thinking can be used in a lot of different fields. That's not just hitting. So you're thinking uh, all of us, the the enticement is to get the home run. It's to swing for the final for me when I swing a a golf club, or if I do play softball or something like that, I got a chance to play baseball one time as a coach. We had a coach's uh, a coach's game, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna just smoke these coaches, and yeah. So I went to the batting cages twice in one week or something, you know, yeah, <laughs> twice, it's slow pitch. And what I didn't realize is the other coaches played like college baseball and some minors, and they were throwing junk at me, and I thought it was gonna hit me. I'm moving out of the way, and I move out of the way, and it was a strike. That's it was like okay. I can't do this at that level, not even remotely. And and what's interesting, I'm listening to this too. We, our body makes decisions even when we see body language or when we get upset or perceive a threat up to five to seven seconds, we're responding to things before our conscious awareness is even in play. Yeah. And you're telling me that that's happening in baseball, that you're making your body and whatever it is, it's reading this pitch and all these little nuances is making a decision ahead of time. And what's fascinating, and this is what I want to talk about to get to that, how many reps how many years, how many swings did you put in? Yeah, you think? millions, right? Millions. 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 In, in the backyard. Uh, and this was before you could just get anything you wanted on Amazon, right? Like we found a, a tire and I went to Home Depot and I remember getting like a thin rope and tying knots to make my own net to put in the tire so that I could mm. throw balls through the tire in front of a brick wall. And one of my holiday gifts uh, was a ball on a tee 
where you could just hit it and it didn't, you didn't have to chase it. So you could hit in the garage and I'd be in there for hours or you go to the field when nobody's there and you just try to hit home runs into the apartment complex behind the field, see if you could maybe break a window and then run away real fast. But you know, that's the target, right? So that you could have fun doing it. Millions and millions of of repetitions. And I want to go back to the uh, type into the robot or into the computer, something that's different than the robot that goes beyond just sports or even your softball, right? Like if somebody's in a sales role and they want to hit a home run all the time, there's such a duality between the end result, the big goal and the little things that you have to do every day. And if you focus on only the big goal, you're going to forget to do the little things and the little things are what build it, build up over time to getting the home run. So it's almost like the base hits are what gets wins championships. It's like if you focus on those base hits, the consistent getting on base versus the the every once in a while home run. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that the record is 62 home runs in the American League, 70 in the National League. Out of 600 at-bats, that's the best that's ever been done. Wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, go back to your point. You know, I think that, you know, business and, you know, every day we all love to land, land the whale in a, in, a, in a big sales environment, or we'd love to get the big account or, you know, every, the speakers want to get the TEDx talk or the big 2000 person, 5000 person stage. But, you know, in speaking, I tell people, you know, actually my friends say this all the time, uh, Seth Madison, and, and I always hear him say that the, the, the breakout rooms lead to the ballrooms, right? The breakout rooms are the base hits. It's not as sexy. It's not as is there, but you know, you're spending years and years and years in those breakout rooms. And then every once in a while you get a ballroom. And if you do good there, it's like, you know, basically what's like the minor leagues is the breakout yeah. rooms, right? The big leagues is that is the, is the, the, the general stage or the general session. And I'm listening to this. And to me, I ask myself, what have I practiced a million times, 2 million times, 3 million times? And how many reps am I getting at this? I know like, you know, for even just during the pandemic, the reps were How's this sound? How's this sound? How's that sound? Microphone here, microphone closer, it's too close, too far. You know, lighting. There's reps in speaking, there's reps in storytelling, there's reps in your presentation and your script. And there's so many ways, reps in how you walk into a room, how you take the stage. There's so many different reps like that. And would you say that that applies in your life to more than just baseball? I mean, I know you were saying it before, but have you applied that to other things? Well, you have to. I think in baseball, in order to make it to the major leagues, there's 780 jobs in the league and there's 30 jobs at your position. So if you want to play in the major leagues, you need to be the best in the world. I think once you've done that in one thing, it's really hard to accept not being the best in anything else that you do. So as I transition into speaking, I want to be the best that I, that I can be. And eventually I'd love to be one of the best in the world at it. I wouldn't be giving all of myself if that wasn't my goal. So I have two speeches coming up, two different topics in, in two different States. And I have been practicing both speeches every day. And I will continue to practice every speech, both speeches every day until I give them. I love that. And so you're, I was going to, I was going to ask you, I said, so do you want to be the best in the world at speaking? And you already answered that question. I, I listen to this and I hope you're listening to this and saying, okay, so what's my goal? Am I trying to be the best in the world? And to me, that's what I want to be. Why not shoot for that? Whether or not I hit it is, is irrelevant to me, but that is the target is. And, and then 
I think Jim Rohn said, he goes, you know, set a goal to be a millionaire, not for the, not for the money that it gives you, but you set the goal for what it forces you to become to get it. And so now you go, okay, so I am a going after this big, massive goal. Who do I have to become to get it? And that's the win. I've seen people set massive goals and become a completely different person to fail, but still win because they became the person they needed to be. Yeah. I mean, that to me is powerful. So I want to talk about failure. I think there's one sport that understands failure. It's baseball. I mean, you're, if you're going to miss minimally 70% of your swings, is that what that, tell me, talk to me about just your look at failure. Cause I mean, you're going to, you're going to say you were fired when well, you said fired 26 times from your job. I was fired basically. 26 times from my dream job. I think maybe even a more apt analogy of failure is I think I had 152 professional home runs. Not all of them in the big leagues, for those of you that are going to fact check. Most of them were in the minor leagues. But I also had 977 strikeouts. <laughs> right? The ratio of success to failure leans heavily towards failure. And if you don't know how to fail and take it as a, as a lesson learned, you're going you're gonna to be stuck in the failure. The most recent tournament that I played was in the Czech Republic. Uh, in September, I was representing Israel in the European Championships, and we got beat by Germany. And after the game, they 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 had named me captain, so I was captain of the team. One of the younger players was like, "I'm pissed. How do I overcome this? We have another game tomorrow." And to me, the easiest way to, to move on and not be pissed anymore is, "What can you learn from it? Did you overswing? Did you swing at the wrong pitch?" Uh, where you're not prepared mentally, take something from it to make you better tomorrow. And that's, that's the best way to move on to the next thing with any failure. You know, it's so funny and it's not even profound, but it's, it's these, these things that get us past the stuff. It's not profound. These are things that we hear all the time, which is why I think we stop listening to them because they become cliche and I go, oh, yeah, I heard that before, but what do I really do? Well, that's what you actually do. You know, I always use the analogy, you go to a, you go to a, a trainer and you want to lose weight and they go, okay, well, it's going to see what you're eating and how you're exercising. Well, I tried that last year. Let's try something new. It really isn't anything new to that. And, but I love that you're saying, well, one, you're, can I learn from it? And there's two ways I think people look at that. One is a coping strategy. The other as a strategy yeah. to get better. I can use that and say to myself, well, at least I learned something just to feel better. But I think the elite performer doesn't give a crap how they feel. What did I learn so I can do this next time? They're already, they're pulling from the past the value to put into practice now to make the future better. So it becomes an actual strategy versus a coping method. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes, I, I, I always botch it, but I love the sentiment is that once, once your mind expands, that's the new normal. You can never go back to the former way of thinking. Once a mind is stretched by a new idea, it will never regain its original shape. I think That's it was Oliver was. Wendell Holmes. Great quote. And tell me, how does that, how do you apply that? What does that mean to you? Baseball and sports, this is where baseball and sports is a poor example because you're always going to fail. You're always going to repeat the same failures. You cannot grow like other fields where you get 10 years experience. You continue to get better and better and better. Sports, unfortunately, at 36 years old, I'm ancient. I'm mm. old news now. So I'm, I'm moving into the next thing. But in all of the new endeavors that I have, as I learn lessons, the hope is that you don't need to learn that lesson the hard way again. Mm. You've learned that lesson 
you take that as a scar, as a badge of honor, you've grown. Hmm. Now you're better, hopefully forever. Now you're on to the bigger, better lesson. What's next? How do I continue to expand? How do I continue to get better? So talk to me about one of your biggest failures. Like, you know, you, you went to the, you were, you were in the minors, you went to the majors. Did you ever go back to the minors and then up back to the majors again? Yeah. 26 times, 26 times. That's what I mean by I got fired from my dream job. Tell me, I want to hear, I want to hear that journey. Cause that has got to be a mental and emotional roller coaster. Yeah. I can, I can take you from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs in 24 hours. How's that? Let's do it. 2019. I'm playing for the New York Yankees in AAA Scranton, Pennsylvania, hmm. the Rail Riders. I was playing very poorly for them. I, I was a Red Sox guy through and through. Had won a, Red, a World Series with the Red Sox before that. Went to the Yankees, didn't feel great about it. That's not why I was playing poorly, but that's, that's a joke I like to make now. So I'm playing poorly. After a day game in June, I get released. No warning, no backup plan. It's the middle of the summer. All the teams, all the other teams already have their full roster set. I get cut. I call my agent. I'm thinking, man, am I going to ever play pro baseball again? Because I'm play- I was playing poorly. I got cut and I deserved it. And not only that, I couldn't leave the stadium because I had a flat tire in the parking lot. Oh, jeez. I'm, I'm feeling like garbage. As I, as I start to feel sorry for myself and go through the seven stages of grief, I get a phone call from the Cincinnati Reds. Hey, we had two of our catchers get hurt today. We'll put you in the major leagues tomorrow if you can get here fast enough. (laughs) So from released from AAA and deserving it to in the big leagues, and I need to wrap my mind around from now, I can't feel sorry for myself anymore. This is an amazing opportunity that doesn't come every day that might never come again. And I, I was able to wrap my mind around it. I go out and I broke the Cincinnati Reds franchise record for most RBIs in a team debut and had the best game for a catcher since Johnny Bench in the 1970s. Jeez, dude. Wow. I love that. Here's what I love. And if you're listening to this, let's see if you caught it. I called my agent. I said, I got released. I played bad. So I actually deserved it. I mean, you owned it and you dealt in truth versus victim. And do you believe that that is by owning that failure, owning your poor play during that time is what helped you also turn it around? I think so. I think making excuses will never move the needle for you in your life in anything, but taking ownership of your failures will allow you to then take ownership of your successes as well. I also think that the most elite performers that I've ever been around they see their failure as temporary, as something that is not a part of who they are, but something that they did. And they see their successes as part of them. Their successes are more permanent. So they relate and they sit in their successes and they take ownership, but then let go of the failure. Do you ever, did you, did you ever read Martin Seligman? No. You just outlined his, um, his, his um, theories for optimism and pessimism. And he talks with the optimist is their failures are temporary, but their wins are pervasive. You, I mean, you literally just nailed his learned optimism model for how, how optimists and pessimists think. And they also own it. It's under their control, but their losses, not under my control. And so it's, it's really fascinating how they, the mindset of that. And so here you were, you get cut, played like crap. 
and you d- you deserve to get cut, but then the stars aligned and you pulled it together. Was there an underlying factor of saying, I know I played bad, but I know I can do better? Oh, I always knew that. I always, I always believed I could do better, even if yeah. the evidence wasn't there. That started from high school. In high school, again, I didn't make the varsity team till, till my senior year. I knew there was more in me. Hmm. It was all about getting to it. You know, there, there's good baseball somewhere. I just need to find it within my body within and, and bring it out to my performance. How did you know there was more in you? What, what, what's, where did that stem from? Is that something you learned from somebody? Is that something that, you know, did you have good parents? Did you have good coaches? Like what, where did you learn this inner belief? I don't know. That's a great question. I feel like I, I decided I was going to make it to the major leagues when I was five years old. And I still well, we remember, all say, we time. all say that though. Like we, I know, but all, I still remember the first time someone told me I was crazy and it wasn't until college. And by that point it was so ingrained in me that I was like, no, screw you. I am going to make it. So you didn't hear any crazy that talked before then? No, I mean, I was allowed to live in this perhaps delusion where it became mm. a reality. That's so cool. I was, I, I remember the first time that dream was squashed was sixth grade by my guidance counselor. Mr. Rosga, he's like, you know, he goes, what do you want to be? I said, I want to be in the NBA. You're a dreamer, kid. I still remember it to this day. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, screw him. I'm still going to do it. You know, not nearly the athleticism or height to do it. I mean, I was, I was a good basketball player, but not like that. But that's wild. And so, I mean, it's, it's you're saying you didn't hear anybody doubt you or question that line of thinking until you were in college. Who was the person that said that to you in college? Uh, well, they might have questioned it before. But I just don't remember. I didn't. I didn't actually give them any time of day. My it was my roommate's parents in mm. college, and I went to again. I went to Yale that produced more U.S. presidents than baseball players. So yeah. they were serious people, and they're like, "No, oh, no, no, seriously, what are you going to do?" And I was like, "Seriously, it was almost practical, right? They're very practical." Yeah. Which is, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, the odds are it's pretty hard. So, what's your real fallback position? And at that time, you're thinking is there is no fallback. Yeah, and now my college roommate is is writing speeches for the president. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, but in your mind, there is no fallback. This is the only way you burn the ships. Yeah, you know what? My favorite rapper as I was growing up was Will Smith. And his one line that stuck in my head more than any other line was, no plan B. It distracts from plan A. Hmm. I don't yeah, even remember it- what song that's in. I'll have to Shazam it. There's Shazam, yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny how many people I know that are successful that believe that it's definitely not the safe route. No. You know, the safe route to have that plan B just sitting there, you know, and I think there's times for plan Bs. And I think there's intellectualizing a plan B and having a plan, but you emotionally don't have one. You know, I think there's, there's those pieces too of just saying you have to behave as if there's no plan B to really fully go all into something. Yeah. To go all into something. And so the, and I love what you said, excuses won't move the needle. Never. Yeah. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever seen an excuse get us very far. Okay. So now you won a world series. What was that like? Oh man. It's, it's like, have you, have you ever been a part of a team that just did something no one expected you to do? And it's that much sweeter. Yeah. We won the state championship, but that was in yeah. basketball, but not nearly the same. Yeah, no. The, so the Boston Red Sox team that won the World Series had lost 97 games the year before. It had been our worst season in over two decades. And the media was all over us. We were a disaster. Uh, it was the chicken and beer collapse the year before that. And we just decided enough is enough. I, I still remember the first day of spring training. I met 
a new teammate. I said, how you doing? And he said, I'm great. I'm one day closer to the World Series parade. And we talked about our goal every day. Mm. We told them the manual scoreboard at Fenway Park where you hang who's in first place, who's in second place in the record. You don't need to hang our, our, our thing. Just paint it on the wall because no one's coming for us. Mm. Where did that start? I mean, how did that happen? You go from 97 losses to a new mindset. Was it a coach? Was it a decision? Was it new personnel? What, what, was, the, what was the deciding factor? What, what made the change? Yeah, we had, there was a new manager, leadership change. Uh, More than that, I would say there was player leadership that changed. There was two new players that came in uh, that had been on other teams that weren't Hall of Fame players. Yeah. They were, they were solid league, maybe above average players, maybe, but leadership in the clubhouse, uh, ownership every single day. You, you know, we, we hold ourselves to our standards. Who, who were those players? It's Johnny Gomes, Ryan Dempster, Mike Napoli. Hmm. Grinders. Just grinders. They they played hard and they grew and they grew manly beards. <laughs> and they just pushed. Yeah. What was it about them? I mean, did, did they did they inspire you too? It was it was uh get on the boat or or get off the boat kind of mentality. This is what we're doing, this is where we're going, and this is how we're doing it. And if and if you're not on board, Get out. Did you have big egos on the team? There were no egos on that team. Isn't that beautiful? No Everybody's pulling on the same rope in the same direction. Isn't that great when you get hyper-talented people that set their egos aside Yeah, to come together. There, there is a f- very few things that are, feel that good. There was a, that uh, Drake song became our theme song. And I, there's something about having a, a common enemy or a common doubt that creates a, a common chip on your shoulder. Yeah, that really, really just takes you to the next level as a team. And that Drake song was started from the bottom. Now, now we're here. here. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's every day that played as we took the field, you were at the bottom. We were literally. Let's go back to, and I, I kind of want to, because there's so many questions that I have. You know, like I, I try to like derive what I'm getting out of this. Was you said player leadership? So it wasn't some magical new manager but yet a manager that allows and, and allows for the room for the lit players to lead. But you had, you mentioned three names or four names, three, three names. I don't know who they are. I'm sure if you're a baseball fan, you know who they are, but you, you all know, know who they are, who they were, and you all respected them. And these gentlemen led and they led by example. You said they're grinders. So they were dirty. They were gritty. They got their, their hands dirty. And the power of that leadership, you got to ask yourself in the business you're in, who, who are the player leaders that are on your team? Are you one of them? And I always say, if you don't see them, that might be your turn to step up. That might be because you're the one that people are waiting for. And that's a, that's a powerful concept. You know, people always wait for the cavalry to come save them. But I always say the cavalry is not coming because the cavalry is here. It's you but you may just have forgotten what your role is. And that I love that. I just, I think, I think that's so much better than having some franchise player come in and turn things around, but you found some true gritty, real leaders that drew the best out of everybody there. On bad teams, the coach sets the standards on good teams. There's a couple player leaders that set the standards, but on great teams, everybody lives the standards. Mm. It's not an option. If you want to be part of this team, this is how you live. This is how you play. This is how you work. I love that. 
That's how that team was. So Ryan, so now you've, I mean, you've had this incredible career. You played in the Olympics too. Is that correct? That's right. I mean, that's, that's super exciting. And you represented Israel, mm-hmm. right? And I know that, um, you know, playing overseas, playing in the minors, doing all this stuff now, and you're not even old, but you're old for a baseball player. You're 37 years old now? 36. 36. And now you're entering this new world. You're a keynote speaker. You're getting your big stages. You're getting, you know, your, your talks and everything. How has that transition been for you? To me, I think it has been really, really meaningful to see how this message lands with people. I told you I want to be one of the best speakers in the world or the best that I can possibly be. That's not for me. I don't, I don't care if I'm that good. I want to be able to impact people. Yeah. I want to be able to leave them with a message or, or an inclination or a new way of thinking that they didn't think before. The same way that, that the coaches have taught me great lessons that impacted my life and helped me take my career to the next level. I want to give those lessons to people and help them. Mm. That's, that's what I ultimately want to do. I love, it's not about you. And that's one of the things I tell people all the time is when you're learning to speak, the, there's an inherent pull to be impressive because nobody wants to not be impressive on stage. But the moment we give into that need to impress we're, we're we become very focused and centered on ourselves and we lose sight of the reality that we're there to serve. They have choices on how they spend their time. They're choosing to spend it with us. How do we give them the maximum benefit and value just to be able to implement that I think is, is a huge plus for you. And I think the world needs a message like yours. We need those that did, were good in something coming back and saying, here's what we did. Because usually somebody who's really good at something is going to be in that for the rest of their life. But a professional athlete gets to take that experience and say, here's a, here's a second half, or here's a second chapter. And I get to share the mindset. I get to share the journey, the, the struggle, the suffering, and apply it towards, you know, whether it be business, life, teaching, whatever, all the different areas that you get a chance to apply it in. I think that's exciting, my friend. And I think the world is going to be better having you out there speaking. So Ryan, as we wrap it up, what, what, what do you want to leave the audience with here? And what, what message do you want to send? For me, the biggest mindset shift was a mode of self-interrogation. If you come up to an obstacle and you think you can't do something or you think you can't be someone, why not? Right? If you think somebody else could do it better, why not you? If you think you have a goal in mind, why not more? Mm. If your team is in a tough competition, a tough competition, or there's, there's a lot of people around you that are vying for the same thing, but you buy into why not us, you're going to win. And if you're waiting for the right time to start, why not right now? So the power of why not? I like that. Almost instead of asking why, why am I the one? Well, why not? Prove me wrong. I told you there's there's a, a lot of power in having a, a common chip on your shoulder, a common th- uh, doubt common. to rally against. Common enemy unites the people. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. Well, Ryan, I got to tell you, it's been a pleasure. And uh, I know we're going to be talking a lot more in the uh, for just going forward. I think you've got a, an amazing message and great energy about you. And I think the speaker world is going to be a much better place with you in it. Uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? I know we've got your, your, make sure you follow Ryan. It's R Lavarnway, L-A-V-A-R-N-W-A-Y, R Lavarnway on Instagram. And 
stay tuned. He's got a new website that's going to be coming out. You've got a, a teamwork, uh, trust and teamwork workshop, team building workshop that you're going to be creating that you've already launched. It's been highly successful. And so keep your eye on Ryan. It's he's, he's, he's going to be doing some really cool things. He's only just getting started, but any other ways that people can get a hold of you? Yeah. Uh, look out for, uh, RyanLavarnway.com coming soon. Uh, my kid's book is out. If you're looking for a holiday gift, it's called baseball and belonging. You can find it on Amazon, but otherwise, uh, I'm easy to find Ryan LaVarnway. Baseball and belonging. We'll put that in the notes as well. Ryan, thanks again for your time, my friend. And, uh, I'm excited to watch your continue, your career continue to flourish and watch you on the path to becoming the greatest speaker of all time, my friend. Thank you, brother. Good to see you. Thank you all for tuning in. If you liked this episode, please like, share, subscribe, all the basic stuff, and help us share this message. We're here to help grow, not only influence, but affect people's mindset, help them navigate the realities of life. And so if you've got value out of this, please share it with everyone you know. And again, this is the Amplify Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for sharing this time with us. If the experience resonated with you, follow us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or AmplifyMyLife.com. Share it with anyone else who's ready to amplify their lives. And remember to let our hearts speak in sequence. For more from Renee Rodriguez, visit MeetRenee.com.